Hey guys, Robert Mays here. On today's Ringer NFL show, we're diving deep on one topic. That's Aaron Donald's contract standoff with the Rams. We'll chat about all the implications that staring contest has for both the Rams and the league at large. As always, we're brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where there are a ton of great shows for you right now. Earlier this week, we kicked off a 20-episode season of The Rewatchables, starting with what is, in my opinion, the movie of the decade, The Social Network. Bill Simmons, Sean Fennessy, and Chris Ryan broke down every aspect of David Fincher's towering 2010 film, and to hear that conversation, please subscribe to the Rewatchables feed and check back for new episodes each week. Also, go to TheRinger.com to check out a ton of awesome stuff from this week. Both series in the NBA Conference Finals are starting to boil over, and we have you covered. Danny Chow wrote about Daryl Morey's dark, twisted plan to overthrow the Warriors and how it may be coming to fruition and may have lost the Rockets' Chris Paul in the process. Over in the East, Mark Titus wrote about LeBron James and his legendary standing in the state of Ohio. Please go check out all of that and more at TheRinger.com. With that, let's get to the show. Welcome to the Ring Around Fell Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I'm Robert Mays, and joining me today, in place of the honeymooning Kevin Clark, is the one and only Danny Kelly. DK, what's up, bud? Oh, not much, man. I'm just kind of enjoying the offseason so far. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. It's Memorial Day weekend. It's Cubs game yeah. today that I'm going to. Uh, I'm just very pleased with everything that's going on. You we got a lot of music about, in your future right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've got a couple of Gaslight Anthem shows next week, uh, festivals. It's uh, it's getting to be a very nice time of year. I'll be in New <laughs> nice. York City next week, and I'm looking forward to that. All right, so today we were going to just talk about the Aaron Donald situation, and because I feel like it has a lot of splinters that affect other parts of the league. It's an interesting conversation. It's like, all right, yeah. one topic. It's the middle of May. There's not much else going on free reign you know we have the runway to get where we want to go and then of course the nfl decides to <laughs> totally screw that up by uh making problems where there don't need to be any and uh, <laughs> of course i'm talking about the brand new national anthem policy that yeah. came down earlier this week uh, from the owners meetings I, i've talked about this in other places already we haven't talked about it on the podcast but we certainly have to what is there to say? I, I think Mina put it best. I mean, Kimes on, on Twitter when she said there is not a rake that the NFL won't step on. <laughs> and, and, and that is just yeah. so incredibly true. <laughs> By the end of last season, you know, we have a handful of players still stand, kneeling for the anthem. And it, it feels like this issue is, is kind of quieting down a little bit right, because right. There, there's been movement that there has been progress. I mean, there's that coalition of players that's, you know, in talks with the league, really trying to institute you know, societal kind of system, systemic change in, in a lot of different ways in that group led by John Baldwin and Malcolm Jenkins and mm -hmm. you guys really making headway in, into the places they want to go in their communities. And then the league decides, well, you know what? Let's stoke the fire again. Yeah, you know? let's, let's throw let's, gas let's, on it. Yeah, yeah. Let's just squeeze a little lighter fluid on here and see how high we can get this thing. So now you, you have an issue in a conversation that was probably – you know, going to be quieter, quieting down and going away to a certain degree. And now it once again will be the defining topic of the couple of weeks leading up to the season because we have no idea what's going to end up happening. Is is there any organization that's worse at PR than the NFL? I don't think so. Again, <laughs> it's because it's not about putting out fires. It's about creating ones that don't exist. Right. It's unbelievable. I mean, if they were just bad at crisis management, that would be one thing, but they create their own issues seemingly out of nothing. And it's just a really frustrating league 
to yeah. watch and to cover and everything else because every time you just want to say, ah, it seems like we're moving in a somewhat decent direction. You know, these guys are really been empowered and the, and the, the protests and everything else and the kind of the message they tried to send has started to get some penetration. And then, of course, the league just tries to undo it all in a single movement for who? I have no idea. And it just seems like this is a choice made for an audience of one. And the idea that they would make it in order to prevent the president from weaponizing, just the president yeah. of midterm elections from pre- from weaponizing this. And then the day after it, the day it happens, Mike Pence goes on the Internet and weaponizes it. It's just yeah. everything about it is baffling and frustrating. And I don't know. I, I mean, at this point, Danny, I just think I'm going to watch how players respond to this in terms of how creative do these protests get now? How many more people are going to take action, you know, try to send a message that wouldn't have otherwise, because this is just something that has irked them. Yeah. I mean, like they talked about it. I think good. Goodell talked about it as a compromise, which is laughable because it's the opposite it was, of that. <laughs> it was, you know, like an edict from the, from the league. Uh, and by the way, it was like, they explained it as a unilateral or, or unanimous, sorry, vote when, in, when in reality, according to Seth Wickersham, you know, it was just like they showed hands and then they basically went with, OK, that's enough like that, that that counts. And then the NFL there have been basically more. There's more thought. There has been more thought put into how a, like a third grade classroom names its hamster. Oh I mean, God. seriously, there there is a more democratic process than there was with this. It's unbelievable. Yeah. But I mean, your point, uh, you know, that you're going to be paying attention to this and it, it comes back to the forefront. Like, actually, Adam Schefter tweeted it and it was I thought it was just really like well stated it's like deshaun watson and carson wentz try to return from knee injuries andrew luck from shoulder injury kirk cousins debuts for the vikings john gruden returns to to oakland yet the biggest week one storyline is shaping up to be who stands for the anthem and who stays in the locker room that's exactly right i mean it just didn't uh, have to be this way yeah and again i'm I'm not of the this should be a political free zone we shouldn't we should use football as a distraction all that stuff i think that's garbage but I, I do think that there was an issue here that, and there was just sort of a landmine that the league did not have to step on and they went out of their way to do it. Yeah, I mean, and they want just, this to go away. That is their goal. And, and they did the there opposite was, of that. There was, you know, it looked like there was actually progress towards an actual compromise starting to happen, like you said, with the coalition and some of the things that, you know, like Doug Baldwin and, and that group of players have done. But but now it just creates this big, huge divide between the league and, and the players union and, and the coalition and you know, it could spark further protests and, and things like that. And so, um, you know, it's just I think it's exactly the opposite of what the league ultimately wants. So, yeah, it's just OK. Good job, guys. All right. Let's move on because yeah. I'm going to start to lose my mind if we don't. Let's get into this Aaron <laughs> Donald situation. I mean, this has been an ongoing conversation just because it, some things have been in the news. You know, Donald is going to skip OTAs again which you can't blame him considering he did it last year and then right. <laughs> and he still having, hasn't got a new contract. And then Marcus Peters came out earlier this week because he was asked about it and he said it's simply to pay the man. And I feel like right. in a lot of ways, that's been the sentiment that's been widespread. I wrote about it this week and I'm on that fence as just a knee jerk reaction. That's my first thought about this. It's like, well, pay the guy. He's the best player in the league. Yeah. But let's take a step back and kind of consider all sides of this and maybe the reasons behind some of the Rams' hesitance. And let's start with Aaron Donald's side, which is very easy to understand. He's the reigning <laughs> defensive player of the year. Right. He is set to make less than $7 million this year on his fifth-year option. That is half of what Ndamukong Sue will make at the same position for the same team in 2018. Right. Al Gogletree 
who is not on the Rams anymore, is making $6.4 million to not play for the Rams. He's on the Giants, for those that were curious. Oh, man. I would say it's arguable that outside of the, I don't know, maybe the rookie quarterback contracts that are around, you know, Wentz, they're starting to go by the wayside. There aren't that many guys on rookie quarterback contracts that you feel are top-level quarterbacks. I mean, they're guys that can play, but I think you could argue that Wentz is and Maybe a couple others have the most valuable contracts in the entire league, but I would say of non-quarterbacks, you know, Donald's seven million is oh, yeah. by far the most valuable contract in the entire league. I mean, he's the best player in the NFL, arguably, at his position compared to his peers. And you think about the guys at the top of the defender market, your Von Millers are making nineteen as an average annual value. That contract was handed out two years ago. So mm-hmm. if Donald was going to get a record or a market-setting contract for defensive players, which I believe he's worth it even as a defensive tackle. That's $15 million or so more than he's going to be making right now. Jeez. I mean, that's a massive jump. I mean, he's one of the, that contract is a hugely valuable piece for the Rams. So you can understand why Aaron Donald is a little peeved right now. I mean, if you look at just, if you taking away all the other factors, like the fact that he is one of the best players in, you know, at his position, one of the best defenders in the NFL, if not the best defender in the NFL. And then, all the factors on what the what the Rams are doing with their cap. I think the the decision to sign Sue to a fourteen million dollar deal. I mean that that is just seems like a slap, almost like a slap in the face to Donald. I mean, like they're mm-hmm. they're really like playing hardball. Oh, we'll or... get to that later. <laughs> so like we, from... we will get to the problems of this offseason and how it's affecting Aaron Donald here in a little right. bit. From his from from Donald's point of view, I think that would be the most frustrating thing. Uh, you know that they brought in another guy. And, and paid him, you know, a ton of money and, and he's still, you know, trying, trying to fight for his scraps or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, yeah, there's, I don't think there's, a, like you said, there's no quarterback or there's no non quarterback who I think, you know, deserves his, you know, his reasoning for like a holdout or whatever more than, or more than Donald. And so, you know, it's just really, really easy to see his point of view. If you're Aaron Donald's agents, and you're coming to the table with the Rams, which they have been doing, I'm sure. Obviously, contracts often exist on precedent. It's about positional value. It's about the guys at that position, everything else. If we go by that, this dialogue and this debate gets sticky very quickly because you have Fletcher Cox making $17 million a year. He set the market for defensive tackles. Got $63.3 million in guarantees. Obviously, that's where the Rams probably would like to start. Mm -hmm. But if you're Donald... I'm assuming that your representatives are going to go a little bit further than that and say, well, that's fine, but we're not going to use the defensive tackle market as any sort of barometer here. That's not going to be the context of this conversation. We're going to look at what defenders get paid because we have the most impactful defensive player in the NFL, independent of the position he plays. Right. And that goes beyond awards, anything like that. If you look at pass rush statistics, everything else. I mean, 91 pressures last year, which were the most in the league at any single position. He transcends the positional value and the traditional limits of interior defensive value. So if you're in that conversation now, he's probably worth something in the $21 million range that's going to reset the market for all players on that side of the ball. In your opinion, do you think that Aaron Donald in a vacuum is worth that amount of money? Yes, I do. Okay. I think I, I he- tend to as well. And, and, you know, this is part of a, a much larger discussion on how to, how to, you know, divide your cap up and how, like, what the best way of going about building a roster is. But I think he's one of very, very few players in the NFL that has a big enough impact play to play 
to make it worthwhile. Plus, he's always, you know, he's been healthy. You know, he's been he's shown that he can stay on the field, too, which is another part of this whole thing. And so I don't know. I mean, it like it's hard for me to think of a more disruptive player in the NFL. Like football is a, is a team sport, ultimately. And, you know, there, it's just really, really hard for one guy to dominate in a game, really, right? Like from the defensive side of the field, it's just hard because you can do so many things as an offense to go away from a certain star player. You know, like a shutdown corner, you can just throw to your other two receivers or whatever. But, I mean, with a guy like with Donald, he just wrecks every play because he he's so good at penetration. He wrecks run plays. He wrecks passing plays. It changes the way you have to play offense. I mean, I'm this is like coming from years of being traumatized, you know, as a Seahawks fan, going up against Donald for years, like he ruins the Seahawks like offensive game plan. So looking at the impact he has, I think he is like one of very, very few players. And, and we'll get to that. But uh, of guys that really do deserve that, like, quote, quarterback money. All right. Before we get to that and just kind of what we might think the team's rationale is in this whole ordeal, let's take a quick break. Hey, it's Bill Simmons. I wanted to tell you about the revamped Ringer NBA show podcast. We are Monday through Friday on Mondays. John Gonzalez hosts Heat Check. Bounce around, talk to a bunch of different Ringer staffers about the weekend that was and what's coming up on Tuesdays. Chris Vernon and Kevin O'Connor, America's favorite couple. On Wednesdays, Sources Say with Chris Ryan and Julia Lippman. Maybe some interview podcasts as well. And then Thursdays, Group Chat. Chris Ryan, a rotating cast of ringer staffers we even put this on youtube too and then friday draft class kevin o'connor jonathan charks sometimes danny chow talking about the 2018 nba draft mock stuff who's rising who's falling who's going to do what you get this every day all the way through the playoffs the draft and even free agency five days a week the ringer nba show subscribe now on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts all right, Danny. So let's let's talk about the overall cap distribution and yeah. the thought and the reticence a team would have about giving a player that much money, which I assume is the basis of the Rams side of this entire conversation. So there is danger in paying a superstar that amount of money. I, when I wrote about Donald this week, I, I looked up some of the numbers. And so since the 2011 CBA was signed, only four non-quarterbacks on teams to make the conference championship game have made at least 10% of the cap. And you have guys on there like Patrick Peterson and Dominican, or excuse me, Patrick Peterson, Julio Jones. And there are superstars in that list, but there are only four guys. The other two are Patrick Willis in 2012 with the 49ers. And the very random one is Charles Johnson. That's surprising. Which is yeah. hilarious. And he is <laughs> the highest. He made almost 14% of the cap wow. the year that the Panthers went to the Super Bowl. And that's almost more impressive than anything. To have an MVP on a $13 million contract is a huge part of that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The smallest value among that group, which I also thought was interesting, the Colts, when they went to the AFC Championship game, Vontae Davis made 5.05% of the cap. He was their highest paid non-quarterback. Wow. If you need to know anything about how good Andrew Luck was that season when he threw 40 touchdowns, <laughs> it's that. The Colts had no yeah. good players, and they went to the AFC Championship game because of how good <laughs> Luck was that year. It's incredible. So look, oh, man. thinking about those numbers, obviously, it's 4 of 20. And so the logical conclusion there is that teams that get that far don't allocate that much cap space to individual players that are not quarterbacks. And the the quarterback mm -hmm. money is kind of divided. I mean, there are some teams on that list that 
had quarterbacks on second contracts. You know, you have your Matt Ryan's Cam Newton was cheap, but it was still 13 million. Tom Brady's been on there. We all know about the value of his contract. A couple guys this year were your Bortles, Carson Wentz, still on their rookie deals. So that's kind of scattered in an interesting way. Obviously, the Russell Wilson conversation has been had a hundred times. So there's no real through line there, even though I think right now the consensus is that it's most healthy to have a quarterback on a rookie contract and try to maximize that window. Right. But over this stretch, that hasn't necessarily borne out to be true. So if we're thinking about it this yeah. way. Who else? And then you say you would pay Donald that much because of the impact that he has. Who else would you put on that list? It would, it's probably a short list. Yeah. I mean, I thought about it for about like an hour this morning. And literally the only one I could come up with was a healthy J.J. Watt. That's it, huh? I, I think you could you could make an argument for like a Joey Bosa or a Von Miller. You know, guys that can affect the play like the league's elite pass rushers, but and maybe like a Camille, Khalil Mack or something like that. But I mean, even still, no I, I, I hesitate on that. No, I don't think wow. so. Like, the guy that I thought of was DeAndre Hopkins, but I mean, like Hopkins has been dominant, you know, for, for years. And even with like bad quarterbacks and stuff, it, it just hasn't moved the needle enough, you know, for the Texans. And so... I even hesitate there. Like, what, what what would your list involve? I think that the defensive players you named, healthy JJ Watt, one hundred percent would be on there, and just no doubt about it. I feel like, yeah, I mean, he's the, he's the closest equivalent to Donald as there is, one hundred percent. I think that Mac is on in that conversation. I think that Von Miller's in that conversation. I could see it going either way. The two guys I would say that I would put on there are Julio Jones and Antonio Brown. I think they're. Yeah, I think the, they're that Antonio good. Brown for sure is another one. I yeah. think they're that good. Those are the only two offensive non-quarterbacks that I would put on there. I, you know, I no offensive lineman is that valuable to me. I, but I do think that what Julio <laughs> and Antonio, which is hard for me to say, I would like part of <laughs> right, me right. wants to say that a healthy Joe Thomas, who <laughs> R.I.P., a healthy Tyron Smith, perhaps, but I would not go that far. I do think that in a vacuum, Julio and Antonio Brown may be that valuable. But it, it, I could see you guys yeah, going either way. The list is very, very short. And the precedent is very bad. And that's why you can understand the Rams' hesitation here. Because right. there are other ways they can do this. It's not necessarily a, we have to pay him or he walks. Because as we know, there are ways to keep players on your team without <laughs> yeah. giving them contract extensions. You were saying the franchise tag for defensive tackle is actually pretty reasonable, right? So that's the thing with Donald, and, and that's why I feel like the Rams have so much ammunition in this negotiation. The franchise mm -hmm. tag for defensive tackles this year was $13.9 million. You mm. would pay Aaron Donald $13.9 million 100 times out of 100. Right, exactly. They're, it's so rare because think about the types of players that often get franchised, right? Tremaine Johnson is a perfect example. Same, fran same team. A guy gets franchised twice. Is Jermaine Johnson one of the five best corners in the league? No. no. Like, he, you're overpaying <laughs> to franchise him. Guys like uh, Jarvis Landry, who obviously didn't get the franchise tag, but was tagged initially. Is Jarvis Landry one of the five best receivers in the league? No. Is Ziggy Ansah one of the five best pass rushers in the league? No. Oftentimes, oftentimes this tag is misused, and it really is an overpay. But for a guy like Donald, he transcends his position so just crazily that paying him the franchise tag 
makes him drastically underpaid if you give him the yeah. defensive tackle tag. And we can go beyond that. If you tagged him three times based on the projected inflation of the cap over the next three years, it's probably right. the case that it would come out to about three years, 60 million if you did it as a defensive tackle. And again, if he's at 21 or 22 million in annual value with about $75 million guaranteed, like his contract would probably be on the open market for the best defensive player. That's less money if you franchise him for three You're years. You're still saving some money. It's crazy. <laughs> so, And that's the thing. I feel like that's what puts the Rams in such an interesting spot is that the Rams have not been afraid to use the tag. They've used it twice on Jermaine mm -hmm. Johnson. They use it on LaMarcus Joyner this year. So there are so many things in play here as to why they probably are reticent to do this. The idea that using the tag for like one year in order to buy yourself some time and save and and give yourself a chance to re-sign this guy to a long-term deal, like that's one thing. But tagging someone two or three times is, I mean, we've looked at it, we've seen that a couple of times recently, like Tremaine Johnson left after after getting tagged twice and Kirk Cousins left after getting tagged, would he get tagged twice or three times? I can't remember. Or twice, but, yeah. Um, twice, yeah. And so that typically when teams are doing that, it's like, here, we want to just keep you for another year not not for a longer term thing down the road like this is just like basically we're overpaying with the interest of it gives us flexibility down the road and so the way that teams have been using that multiple tag uh you know strategy is is different than what it would be in this case because i think the idea is that you'd want donald here for for the long term absolutely and that's why i think that there's danger in doing this but again like you just said when teams have done it in the past, Cousins is another very good example. You're overpaying for this guy in the, in the moment. But with Donald, you wouldn't be overpaying for him <laughs> if so you weird. tagged him for it as a tackle. That's what complicates He this. really is unique. It's, it's crazy. I've never, you, there's never been a moment in my mind where a team has used the tag to derive value. They've only used it to derive flexibility, trying to kick the can down the road and give themselves some yeah, more time. That's interesting. Let's discuss some of the previous cases in the precedent for these positional arguments that have affected franchise tag value over the years. The two cases that come to mind in my mind are Jimmy Graham in New Orleans when they tagged him and Terrell Suggs mm -hmm. when, when they tagged him in Baltimore. So in Graham's situation, his argument was, I am not a tight end. You can't tag me like one. So the... Original tender for, that they gave him was seven point oh five three million for as a tight end. The receiver tender would have been mm -hmm. twelve point one three. It's a huge difference. Well, you know, yeah. it's not that's not yeah, yeah. the defensive tackle the defensive end is not that big. But eventually, even though he lined up in the slot or wide on sixty seven percent of his snaps, the league ruled that he was a tight end. Which I, I'd love to hear any sort of rationale behind yeah, but, that. Well, how? <laughs> One that went the other that's way interesting. was Terrell Suggs. So Suggs was te originally tendered as an outside linebacker, which was much lower in those days. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm a defensive end. I mean, he's a pass rusher. He should be compensated as such. And I believe they split the difference in that case. So now you mm -hmm. go to Donald. The problem here is that Donald doesn't have much recourse because his argument no. is not about alignment or any sort of X's and O's stuff. It's about impact. And, you know, some people in some like spots, list him as a defensive end in, in Wade Phillips' scheme because Wade Phillips runs a 3-4, which doesn't exist anymore. And he's <laughs> oh, yeah. a defensive tackle. He's listed as a defensive tackle on their website. So Aaron Donald's going to go and be like, I am a defensive end in terms of value. And they're going to be like, yeah, I don't care. So he, he has an uphill <laughs> fight there. So that that's what makes it such a rare case is that 
the Rams really could franchise him three times in a row and still save money. They could pay him 120% of the tag in year two and 140% of the year two salary and still come in at less than they would probably have to pay him if he was on the open market. That's how good Jeez. Aaron Donald is and how different he is than yeah. the players at his position. It's nuts. It's like almost like reminds me of the, and this is probably a terrible comparison, but it almost reminds me of the the advantage the Patriots have had for years with paying Brady like, what, 14 against the cap or something yeah. like that. It's like it allows you to just fill out your roster everywhere else. But of course, Brady does that sort of, uh, he does that willingly, whereas this would be almost like holding Donald hostage for a couple of years. I know he's still making a lot of money, but you know, you're, you're, you're limiting what he's able to do on the open market and stuff like that. So definitely could create bad blood. And, and I know that that's a huge factor in, in the Rams decision-making too. It's like, how is this going to affect, you know, his, his psyche and his, his, want to and, and all that because obviously he he missed a game last year from holding out he didn't i think he ended his holdout before actually missing the game but they had already ruled they held him out, him out. Is that yeah, right it was he was right before week yeah, one yeah. he ended his holdout right so i mean this is that was last year i mean this is now we're even closer to the end of his contract and so you know it, it's it's really easy to see him doing that holdout again and the thing about his contract now and it's similar to what we just discussed is that and there's such a huge gap between what he's worth and what he's currently getting paid that it's almost, it's not quite this much, but it's almost like a quarterback on a rookie deal. Like that's how much value there is to it. So yeah, the jump yeah, between yeah. his current contract and the extension would make him so much less valuable because of the huge gap in pay. So that's why you can understand why the Rams want to milk this as long as they can. And right, right. especially this year, they've had to milk it because they're up against the cap because they've spent money like a drunken king. <laughs> the, what the Rams have done, and let's get into this and just talk about kind of how this fits into the Rams' larger plans, right? Right. So obviously, you know, the Rams have been trade and sign happy in, in the last couple months here, and even over the last year. And when you consider how many huge moves they've made and consequential moves they've made since the beginning of the 2017 offseason, yeah. they really remade the upper echelon of their roster. So of the Rams' eight highest paid players, five were acquired after the start of the 2017 offseason. One That's of those guys that they had before that is LaMarcus Joyner, who's on the franchise tag. So it's not <laughs> like he's thrilled with what's going on. They also have four guys with looming contract situations. Marcus Peters is going to be in this exact scenario next year, mm -hmm. which... I guarantee you he's been looking at that's why he said what he did this week. Marcus Peters man. is looking at this and saying, <laughs> I know my time is coming. Yeah. Brandon Cooks is in the scenario that Aaron Donald is in. Lamarcus Joyner playing on the franchise tag will need to be re-signed. And Dominican Sue on a one year contract. So the Rams have seventeen or seventy two million in cap room for next year, according to over the cab, but that could definitely go away in a hurry when you consider some of the moves they might have oh, to yeah. make. So it's one of those things where they've tried to maximize their window, obviously, but at the same time, they've really complicated so many elements of this. <laughs> They're walking the tightrope this year, honestly. They it's, are. It's I and I I get it. I actually I think their their strategy is sound in the fact that like we have a chance this year to win the Super Bowl. I do think that they're a potential Super Bowl contender. I'm not going to say that they're the favorite or anything like that, but I think they have enough talent on that team to be a contender in the NFC. So if, if anything, they're just kind of like, let's just do this balancing act for a year. And then from after what happens this year, we'll be able to figure out exactly like what direction we want to go in, what guys we want to keep, 
how we're going to allocate all this extra cat space that we have, like what guys are worth keeping and, and turning into like the core nucleus of our team. Cause right now, like you said, the majority of the top paid guys on the team are new players. So like you bringing in all these new guys, you don't necessarily know a ton about them um, and, and how they ultimately fit and, and like they're worth long-term and things like that. And so I think this is a year, not only that they're going to contend, but they can evaluate all these like new additions to like how they fit in, in what they want to do and how they fit culturally and things like that. So it's almost like this experimental year and where they actually do have a chance to, to be really good. I think on a football level and just kind of on a ex- paper, like just on paper. And when you're talking about this as in a more detached, emotionless way, I think it's all awesome because that's yeah. exactly right. They've given themselves some flexibility with the amount of money they have to say, who do we want to keep? Who do we want to lose? And with 72 million, it's a lot of money. I mean, you could sign Donald with that. And then you could, you know, say you use the franchise tag on Cooks, you know, say you use it on Sue, say you give Cooks a long-term deal, you know, Peters, you can mm-hmm. do the year after. They have flexibility. They can really go a lot of different directions. And that's a good thing. My thought about this whole ordeal, though, is that in the last year, they traded away a team captain who was given a contract <laughs> extension in October. Right. And they traded him in March or February, whenever they traded Ogletree. It wasn't long after they gave him a lot of money. People <laughs> liked him in the locker room. Again, going back to that five of their eight highest paid players. This is a dangerous way to mm-hmm. build your locker room and to build your roster. Because even if you are in a calculated way, maximizing the window given to you by Jared Goff's contract, there are consequences in doing it this way. And in going out and kind of living the mercenary lifestyle while Aaron Donald sits there waiting for a contract extension. Yeah. And, and I don't, there is a chance. I mean, they put a video online of him yesterday, just looking like the, a kid in the candy store being back at practice. McVeigh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I there that. is a chance that that coaching staff is so good and, and they are so deft in handling personalities, you know, everything else. And they're just so good schematically that it doesn't matter that this team ends up being a juggernaut. They win the Super Bowl and people are like, well, who gives a shit about Aaron Donald's contract? Like, we'll figure it out later. We won the Super right. Bowl. And I think that that is a fair point. But I also think that a lot of teams have had a lot of talent on paper and have not won the Super Bowl. And then they're left wondering what the hell they're going to do. Yeah, and yeah. there's just as much of a chance that happens. And oh, I think that when you have guys, again, like Peter's sitting there looking around and saying, well, what are they going to do with me if they didn't give the defensive player of the year an extension before they needed to? And I do think that that has an impact. And consider what the Eagles did, right? Mm-hmm. And when Howie got that, when Roseman got that job again, the first thing he did was re-sign Lane Johnson, Zach Ertz, Vinnie Curry, which again, that's not a good football move, but guys in the locker room took notice. Malcolm Jenkins said this to me. It really changed how we all thought about this because we knew if we did our jobs, we'd be here in the long term. Mm-hmm. The Rams have not proven that to anyone. The two guys they signed to contract extensions in the re- in recent years, Tavon Austin and Alec Ogletree, are now gone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's the mental, psychological part of, of team building that it's really hard to measure. And, and But ultimately, I think it's super important. I mean, I, we heard the same things for years with, with the Packers. That was kind of their thing. Like, keep everything in-house. We're going to sign the guys. We're going to keep our own. You know, and they built... Super Bowl, you know, caliber teams doing that. And then the Seahawks did the exact same thing. Let's keep Cam Chancellor. Let's keep Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Bobby Wagner. All year early, too. All year early. And so it was very, very much, I I heard it for years here in Seattle, is like, take care of our own. 
you know, that was a very big sort of narrative and talking point for the coaching staff and GM. And I think that was, you know, very, you know, purposeful towards like fostering that, that team spirit and, and the motivation for players to kind of like do their best. And so they can, they can get rewarded when it's their time type of thing. You know what I'm saying? So like, like you're saying, Absolutely. it is like, you're going to have players looking at me like, okay, what do I have to do to get a freaking contract here? You know, like, like you said, like if they're not going to give the defensive player of the year, one of the best defenders in the league, what he deserves, like, how am I going to get anything? And so it kind of can create this uncertainty or, or mistrust with the, with the front office. And so that's kind of like, again, it's the, tightrope you have to walk this year if you're just going to go ahead and do do you know kick the can down the road toward till next year you better hope you can actually start winning because i think if you start losing games that's when things like this really start to snowball um, yes. if they're winning no one's going to give a shit like you said but if they start losing some games if there's some adversity and there's always adversity every season for any team um that's when you start to worry like things like this can can start to matter more and it's, it's interesting because I do think that there is a middle ground to be found. And I think the Eagles found it. And Les Snead has said as much this offseason. He said, if the Eagles hadn't done what they did, I don't think we would have made these moves. That's and, so interesting. Yeah. And I think that that's fair. And it's a good way to think about going after a championship and understanding that you can't stand pat. Like, let's be aggressive. And the Eagles were trade happy. The Eagles did go get some guys to really fill out their roster. You know, Alshon Jeffrey, Timmy Jernigan, Ronald Darby, all that. But at their core... They still had that group of four or five guys right. that were they were the team, and the Rams don't really have that. They they have gotten rid of all of the players <laughs> that they had extended. Throw Robert Quinn in that mix too. I mean, I think that was a good football move, and I think the Ogletree one was as well. But again, it just creates this kind of feeling about how you're going to build your team and what you're after. I mean, who are the mainstays on the Los Angeles Rams right now? First guy that comes to mind is Gurley, but we, know, we all know the Rams for three years. <laughs> I know. And that's kind of like, obviously and he has not been given a contract extension. <laughs> Throw his name in the ring too, for somebody that might need that franchise right. tag if they're using right. it on Donald. So, I mean, I guess, honestly, it's like Donald and Brockers, I guess. I mean, it's like Roger Saffold and Michael Brockers. <laughs> I mean, that's it. Right. It, 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 it's, it's interesting to me. I, I just feel like the dynamics of that locker room, I would love to be a fly on the wall there the entire year because I do think these things have an impact. And we think mm -hmm. Donald should get paid. He obviously thinks he should get paid. The Rams have their concerns about it, evidently, because they still haven't done it yet. And when you have people in the locker room making twice as much as you at your position and you got just got the hardware, I can understand that you're sitting there thinking, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it, it hurts morale, can hurt morale. And, and I mean, again, it's like we always talk about these intangible things and, and it's impossible to measure, but I do think all that stuff matters. I mean, the Eagles had such a strong, you know, cohesive locker room last year. I think that really shined, you know, in the playoffs and everything. And it, it's it, when your morale is down, it's like hard to win. I mean, you know, it's just, I mean, hey, look, Cliff Averill last yesterday came, came on uh, the Dave Damashek show and was talking about how, you know, Seahawks basically have gone downhill the last couple of years because they lost trust in Pete Carroll after the Super Bowl loss and how that like created this cascading effect where all the players started to question whether he was like knew what he was doing. And so I think that, you know, we've seen that, that, that have a really negative effect on teams. And so, yeah, I think it's certainly something worth worrying about, you know, it, it's, it could go either way, but it's, it's certainly a real 
a real factor. Do they scare you as much as any other team in the NFC? After all that conversation and all the looming dread and just disaster that may happen because of the <laughs> way they've handled the players in that locker room, do they still scare you more than anyone else? Um, I wouldn't say that I think that they're the best or most complete team. I think their interior defensive line is the scariest, though, for sure. Like, if you're worried about your quarterback getting hurt, like the, the Rams are the team you don't want to play. It, that I'll put it that way. Like, I'm more, I, I would say, like, I think the Saints are probably more complete. Obviously, the Vikings are one of the most deep teams in the, in the NFL, and the Eagles are super deep, too. And so there's there's other teams in the NFC that are, I think, quote, better. So you think they're the fourth best team in the NFC? Probably, yeah. That's probably where I'd put them around there. Um, but I mean, I think they yeah, have the potential to be the first, you know, they, they have t- the potential to be the best just based on all the talent they have. But um, I'm still thinking like the the depth and from the other from those other teams I mentioned are probably a little bit stronger right now. I can't really disagree. I, I, I first thought it's like, man, fourth, really, with all those guys. But then you think about it and I can understand that. And again, going back, if they're the fourth best team and we're saying that right now. That's not like we're going to win the Super Bowl with all right. these risks we've made. And right. if they don't and it goes wrong, then you're really left scrambling to figure out what the hell is going to go on. Again, <laughs> flexibility is nice, but there is this. I assume there's going to be some sort of just discontent that rises up if this team does not win a lot this year. Just again, based on some of the decisions they've made. It's yeah. fascinating. I mean, I think that. Again, going back to the beginning of the podcast, there's so much cool stuff to talk about with the NFL right now. And instead, yeah. we, we're we left discussing how dumb the league is about every decision <laughs> that it makes. All right, bud. I, uh, that's all I got. I, anything else you want to say about this? No, man. I think, yeah, it's like, I think you just nailed it, though. It's like, there's so many interesting things. And the NFC in, in, in particular is crazy fun this year. And so it's just getting me pumped up for the season already. I mean, it's only May and we're already getting excited. That's a good sign. I agree, bud. All right. Sounds good. Uh, Everyone, enjoy your Memorial Day. If it's already happened, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, We'll be back in a couple weeks, uh, continuing our off-season schedule. As always, really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network.